Some of you are probably wondering, on Mother's Day, why am I preaching a message titled, When We've Messed Up? It's actually a, a message on hope. And it's one we all need because the truth is we all mess up. You, have you ever made a decision you regretted? Huh? How many of you ever made a decision you regretted? You ever made a decision you regretted a whole lot? All of us, if you live long enough, are going to do that. We're going to mess up. And God wants you to know that your mess does not have to be the end of the story. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. In fact, there, there are people in this room right now, you are in a mess. You're living in the pain. You're living in the struggle. You're living in the fear of a mess of, of regrets. And God's saying to you that you don't have to stay there. There can be more. You can, you can move beyond that. There, there are moms and dads and grandmothers, grandfathers in the room today who are absolutely brokenhearted praying fervently because they have children, grandchildren living in a mess, making decisions that are not good. And, and mom and dad and grandparents, I mean, it, you're, you're, you, you are scared to death for them. And I want you to know they don't have to stay in that mess. We're going to look at one of the chapters you read this week in our Bible reading plan, Isaiah uh, chapter 40, because he gives us hope in this chapter that the mess does not have to be the end of the story. And, and all we need to do to get out of the mess is listen to God. Just listen to God and do what he says and we can get out of the mess. Now, the context is Isaiah the prophet has been speaking to the king of Judah. And this is actually a good king. His name is Hezekiah. But most of the kings before him and most of the kings after him were evil kings. The people were not being faithful to God. The, the nation of Judah was, they were worshiping idols. There was immorality. There were sexual sins. There, there, they were taking advantage of the vulnerable. They just, they played church. They played church. They claimed to be the people of God, but nothing in their life other than occasionally going to the temple reflected they were actually following God. And God says that sin has gone on for so long, generation after generation, that judgment's coming. And Isaiah says that in the future, a day is coming when God will pour out his judgment on the nation of Judah and the country will be destroyed. Jerusalem will be destroyed. The temple will be destroyed. Many of the people will die. Others will be carried away as exiles, as slaves, if you will, to the country of Babylon, the empire that will conquer them. And it will be a, a devastating time. And, and in the midst of all that, God says, Now, Isaiah, I've got a sermon I want you to preach to the people and to the king. Letting them know that even though hard times are coming because of their decisions, because of their sin, that does not have to be the end of the story. There is hope. And I want us to see what he said in that message in Isaiah chapter 40, starting at verse 1. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? 
And let me see God's Word, your copy, whether it's a physical copy or electronic copy. Hold God's Word up. Always bring His Word to the house of God, okay? Isaiah chapter 40, starting with 1. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed that she has received of the Lord's hand double for her sins. A voice is calling, clear the path, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Lift every valley, may let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. I'll explain that in a minute. Then, The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is what God says is going to happen. A voice says, call out, and then he answered, what shall I call out? Well, here's the answer. All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Holy Spirit, I pray you take the truth of God's word right now and speak to every heart in this room, every mind in this room. And I pray that all of us would bend our wills toward Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you and you can be seated. Three or four things I want you to see from this chapter. We need to realize things we didn't know when it comes to getting out of a mess. When we've messed up and we want hope, there's just some stuff we need to know. And the first is, is there's pain and there's sorrow. And we have to own it. Making little of it, ignoring it doesn't help anything. When there's pain and sorrow, we have to face up to it. He, he begins this message. By saying, comfort, oh, comfort my people. And then he tells the prophet Isaiah in verse 2, speak kindly to Jerusalem. Why? Because they needed it. They needed it. They were in pain. I mean, I mean, here the prophet had been preaching to them. Uh, Micah, another prophet, had said the same thing. Years later, Jeremiah would say the same thing. Your nation will be devastated. Your capital will be burned to the ground. The temple will be knocked stone after stone after stone till none are left standing. Ark of the Covenant will disappear forever. Some of your descendants will die. Others will become slaves in a foreign country. That's that's the kind of message you want to hear on Sunday, right? And there was sorrow. And, And I mean, how many of you have ever said, man... I can't imagine what it's going to be like for my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren living in America in the future. If it's as bad as it is now, I can't imagine how hard it's going to be for them. You ever said anything like that? Well, what these people were facing was a hundred times worse. And there was sadness. There was sorrow. That's why God is saying, speak a word of hope. To them, you, you have to understand that every time you mess up, there's pain. 
When, when you don't listen to God, when you sin, when you make bad decisions, when you make a mess of things, there's hurt. You hurt. You suffer. The people who love you, the people closest to you, they suffer. They hurt when you mess up, when you make bad decisions. That's just, just what happens. I mean, the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you. You find you out. You can't hide from it. Pain, when, when, when you disobey God, when you don't listen to God, hear me, hear me. The pain is coming. The tears are coming. The sorrow's coming. You, you can try to, to, to escape it, deny it, belittle it. It's coming because a mess always brings that stuff. Monisa and I were talking about a mutual friend from our high school days named Kathy, a couple years younger than me, active in my church. Took her faith seriously. Everybody liked her. She was nice, got along with everybody. Monisa was telling me they, they were both cheerleaders together when they would go on trips, go to, I guess, cheerleading camps and so on. Kathy would always bring her Bible and she would read it. I mean, her faith was real to her. And then after I'd gone on to college, um, Kathy was, she got pregnant. And so Monisa was telling me about that because they were cheerleaders together. And what really caught my attention was, was when she was describing for me the day their coach, their sponsor came into the room to tell all the cheerleading squad that Kathy was pregnant and would not be able to cheer her senior year of high school. And while they were all brokenhearted, what she remembers is Kathy in the hall outside sobbing because her life had changed. That's what making a mess does. That's what sinning does, always. It brings pain, heartache. It changes your life. And you're never, you're never going to have hope until you're honest about that. Honest about your mess. Honest about your sin. Honest about how you're treating God. You've got to be honest. But when you are honest and you listen to God, that's the second point. God offers you comfort and restoration. Comfort, oh, comfort my people. Speak kindly or tenderly to Jerusalem. The word comfort there in the Hebrew means to show compassion, to show your feelings, to show your heart. And when he says speak kindly or tenderly, you are to allow that compassion to, to, to speak. You speak from the inside. You speak from your heart. You speak from, you speak from the tenderness on the inside of, of, of you. And so he's saying, Isaiah, from your heart, speak words of compassion to these hurting people. Isaiah, from your heart, in the midst of their pain, in the midst of the judgment, speak words of compassion to their heart. They, they need to know there's hope. 
They need to know they can be forgiven. They need to know things can change. They need to know they're welcome to come home. They need to know there is restoration. He says in verse 2, tell, tell the people of Judah that her warfare has ended and she's paid double for her sins. In other words, let them know that, that after the, the war with Babylon and all the destruction, a day will come after that when I will make a way for them to return from exile to the promised land and the nation can be restored, that they don't have to live in constant war. You don't have to keep fighting. You don't have to keep arguing. You don't have to keep running from God. You don't have to continue making the mess messier. The warfare can end. And then he says in verse 2, your iniquity is removed or paid for. Your sin forgiven. And I think our understanding of forgiveness is not big enough. I love all the images, all the word pictures in the Bible for forgiveness. What does it mean when God forgives? One word means he takes the eraser, or today, you know, not a whiteboard, not a chalkboard, and he just erases, it's gone, it's wiped clean. Another word is the picture of taking dirty laundry and washing it and getting all the dirt out. And that's, that, that's what God does when he, he cleanses you. The Bible says God turns his back to your sin and remembers it no more. Beautiful, powerful pictures of what forgiveness is. But this particular Hebrew word means even more than all of that. This, this word is the, it's, it's the idea that, that when God forgives, God looks at you. God looks at you and views you with favor. That God looks at you and he's pleased. That God looks at you and he accepts you. It's God's way of saying, when you come to me, when you come home, I give you a big old hug because I am so happy you are here. And what I see is someone I love. That's forgiveness. You may have a hard time thinking anybody can treat you that way, that God can forgive you and treat you that way, but he does. You may hold on to all the mess, and the longer you hold on to it, the more it keeps you in its grip. And God says, come to me and let go of all that. I look at you with favor. I look at you with pleasure when you allow me to forgive you and cleanse you and heal you. And aren't you thankful he does? I know I am. Think about the stories in the gospel and the people who came to Jesus. And think about Mary Magdalene. Let me just say up front, Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. I know you've heard that. She was not. Nothing in the Bible says she was a prostitute. That is a myth that got started years ago. Don't have time to walk you through the history of it. But it's not true. She was not a prostitute. But Mary Magdalene was a mess. 
Jesus cast seven demons out of her. If you've got seven demons in you, you're a mess. He healed her. He restored her. She became a devoted, faithful follower of Jesus. She was there that that Sunday morning when he was raised from the dead, the first person to see him alive. She became part of the group that financially supported Jesus' itinerant ministry. But there was a prostitute. Jesus was having dinner in the home of a prominent official one night. And he and others were reclining at table in the custom of that day so their feet would have been away from the table facing the wall. And another cultural tradition was that if you had a banquet or a party like that with guests, others, strangers even, could come in. They couldn't participate, but they could stand around the perimeter and watch and listen. Now, that's weird to us, but that's how they did it then. And standing behind Jesus' feet is a woman. She's a prostitute. She's listening to Jesus. She probably had heard him before. And she starts to sob. She kneels at his feet. And her tears fall on his feet. In their culture, a good host would always provide a pan of water so guests could wash their feet because they got dirty in those sandals on those dusty roads. But here she's washing his feet with her tears. And then she dries dries his feet with her hair. Jewish women would normally in public wear their hair up covered with a scarf or whatever. And to let her hair down in public was a sign of her devotion to Jesus. And she takes some perfume, pours it on his feet, anointing him for burial. The dinner host became angry. How can you allow a woman like that to touch you? And that's when Jesus did some teaching that those who have made the biggest mess and been forgiven the most are the most grateful. Because those who go through life thinking they've never made a mess... They're better than most. Don't really appreciate or understand grace because they don't think they need it that much. But this woman knew she needed it. And Jesus looked at her with favor, with pleasure, with love, with forgiveness. And Jesus says to you, whatever your mess, if you come to him, he sees you the same way with love and pleasure and favor. And that mess is not what defines you in his eyes. And I am thankful for that. 
You may not know it, but there are men and women in this room who've made some really big messes in the past. Men and women in this room who some time ago had an affair. Went through the pain of a divorce, some more than one. There are women in this room who experienced the trauma of abortion. People in this room, you lost your job because you did something unethical. On and on we could go. But they're here because so many of them made their way home, found forgiveness, were restored, and they're here loving Jesus. They're here serving Jesus. And that experience 10 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago doesn't define who they are now. That's the grace and hope and restoration of Almighty God. And it's available to everybody. And I'm glad it is. He always makes a way home. Verses 3 and 4, those verses that maybe don't make sense where he talks about lifting up the valley and bringing down the mountains and making the rough terrain flat and smooth and broad. The desert place, a, a place where there's rain, there's water. What God is saying to these people who are going to be carried miles and miles and miles away as slaves, as exiles to Babylon, he says, when, when, when the time is right and your heart is right, God is going to make a, a flat, beautiful, smooth highway And he's going to travel from the ruins of Jerusalem to where you're living now in Babylon to get you and bring you back, bring you home. And God is in the business of making a highway to your heart and to your soul. The person who loves you and prays for you and speaks to you about church God's making a highway to you through them. Those moments when you feel something in your heart and in your soul and in your mind that says there's more. I don't have to stay here. I I need. That's God through the Holy Spirit making a highway to your soul. When you show up at church on a random Sunday and you hear a sermon, God's making a path to you and he's saying will you take my hand and walk with me back to the temple walk with me to heaven walk with me home walk with me to restoration walk with me to forgiveness walk with me to healing God says I don't want you to stay over there in Babylon I don't want you to stay in captivity I don't want you to stay in the pain I don't want you to stay in the guilt I want you to come home to freedom and restoration that's the grace of God And so he offers, he offers comfort and hope. But to travel that path home, you've got to face reality. You've got to face reality and you've got to be honest. Notice in verses 6, 7, and 8, he talks about the grass withering and the flowers, their blooms withering and folks those of us living in rock hill south carolina should understand that well because i've never lived anywhere harder to grow grass than here (laughs) 
And I love azaleas. They're beautiful. They just don't last long enough. One of the things I want God to do when I'm in heaven is let me see azaleas bloom forever. Not just a week or two. Never dry up, never get those brown spots on them. But right now, they wither and the petals drop. And if you don't take care of your grass in Rock Hill, it ain't going to last. And he says in those verses, that's you. That's men, that's women, that's people. We're the grass. You don't have forever. Sometimes we live like we've got forever. You don't have forever. In fact, you don't know how long you have. Kathy married the father of her baby. Then I don't know the exact age, when he was around 20, 21, 22, somewhere in there. He'd been out drinking and he died in an automobile accident. You don't have forever. And the longer you wait, sometimes the, the deeper the mess gets. But he said in those same verses, you, you, do you know what does last forever? The Word of God. At the end of verse 8, it stands forever. Some of you just keep thinking. You, you kind of tell yourself, you know, I, I think someday maybe God's going to change his mind about all this stuff. That if I just wait long enough, God will think differently about it. I'm sorry, but you're wrong. He's the eternal God. And what he says is eternal. His word doesn't change. It stands forever. What he says right now is what he said 500 years ago. And it's the same thing he'll be saying 500 years in the future if Jesus hasn't come back. It's the same thing he's going to say on the judgment day. It stands forever. God, God is never changing his mind. The word isn't changing. You have to. You need to come home. And this unchanging word says he will give you a big hug and he'll look at you with love. He will welcome you home. It's time you came home. And then here's the last thing I want you to see. That mess does not have to define your today or tomorrow. God can use you. There can be more to your story because he tells us here, you can have a testimony that is good and you can be a witness for Jesus and his love and his forgiveness. I love the verse we didn't read yet, verse 9. 
after inviting them to travel that highway home, he says to them, Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, another name for Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily with power and strength, O Jerusalem, bearer or carrier of good news. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. Come home and then shout from the rooftop, God welcomed me. God forgave me. He healed me and restored me and embraced me and accepted me. He let me serve him. He let me speak for him. He let me make a difference for him. You don't have to stay out there. Come home. God says, I can do great stuff with you if you don't stay where you are. And that's a, that's a much better place to be. God wants to heal you from that mess and make your life count. He loves you that much. And it can happen. Oh, please let him do it in your life. I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to sing. Pastors are standing at the front here at the altar. I'm asking you to travel the highway home. Come to one of these pastors and say, Pastor, today I'm coming home. I don't want to stay where I've been I don't want to stay where I am. I want to come home. If you've never come to Jesus in the first place, come to one of these pastors and say today, I want to commit my life to Jesus and become a follower of his. Also come to them if you'd like to join this church or be baptized. The altar is here for you to kneel and pray. Talk with God about your life, your family, someone you care about who's not obeying God who's living in a mess. Come and pray for them. Pray for anything that God puts on your heart.